0: Welcome to Out to Lunch, the podcast where I take a really big name to a really lovely table. I order loads and loads of really good food, and then I ask them lots of really, really outrageous questions. And by the time they've got to the main course, they've started to answer me in detail. This time, it's the brilliant actress, the director, and a woman who could win gold medals for swearing for Britain. It's Kathy Burke. So for this edition of Out to Lunch, I was said a bit of a challenge because Cathy Burke has a few eating uh, requirements. What it basically came down to was fish, and she... Particularly mentioned, she loves Dover Sol, and it became clear to me that the place we needed to bring her was to Scotts. Scotts is a venerable seafood and fish restaurant. It's quite glossy, quite shiny. Part of the Caprice Group. It's on Mount Street in Mayfair. They have a new private room, which is I've already seen inside. It's astonishing, and so I'm going to sit in there with Kathy Burke, some marvelous art, and we are going to eat the best seafood you can probably get in London. Come and join me. Hello. Oh, hello, hello. Coming in. This is nice. Hello. 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 You're right. Good to see am. you. Lovely to see you. Thank yeah. you for coming. Thank you. Kathy, we are we are doing this in the new private room at Scott's, which is called the Platinum Arowana Room. Apparently named after a certain kind of fish. It's a bit bling, isn't it? I mean, bling in a good way. <laughs> it's insane.
1: It's very bling. Yeah, but it's sort of lovely. There's some great art on the walls, really lovely stuff.
0: Yeah, there are two Renoirs, yeah. a couple of Chagalls, a few Miro's, a Pissarro. Yes. The panels, those glass panels here, they're Lalique.
1: They're amazing, they're
0: beautiful. Aren't they? And the floor, what's the floor? Um, agate. So it's, it's, it's panels made out of carved agate. I, I believe the bill for doing this was um, a fat seven figures.
1: Yeah, it's pretty spectacular,
0: actually. It's very nice.
1: I heard them all getting the
0: pep talk out there. Oh, it, it's actually brilliant when you when you hear them do the thing. Mm. Because they go through the full list of their bookings, yes. who their regulars are, and they shout it out to the crowd and say, tell me about this person. And they'll come back with, they like a pint of lager on the table when they arrive and another one to follow the moment it lands. Oh, my God. Or, table seven. They drink a whole bottle of champagne, but that's it. Yeah. They, they're meant to know. Here's Mark. Yes. Hi. Mark Hi. is our Hi. Hi. waiter. Hi. Nice to meet you. I oh, mean, it has to be said, Cathy, that mm. we have ended up in this extraordinary room, which yeah. only happened basically because of uh, your your dietaries, darling.
1: Oh, right.
0: So and when you s- s- you sent me back this brilliant email, am I allowed to read what the brilliant email said? Yeah, said? yeah, of course.
1: Um,
0: I'm a pescatarian, but hate seafood and monkfish. I'm mm. I'm quite with you on them. I mean, monkfish. Yeah. Sea bass is a fave and Dover sole. Uh, not good with anything spicy or covered in seeds. <laughs> Peppers give me indigestion. Aubergine's are rank. Yeah. Oh, hang on, we've got sparkling water. Cranberries look so innocent, but they stop one of my tablets working, so it could kill me. I love Italian food, but I don't like risotto. But I do like arancini, and even you recognise that that's weird. Because mm. arancini are made from leftover risotto.
1: They are, but they're deep fried.
0: Ah, well, that's good. Deep fried yeah. solves everything, <laughs> doesn't it? Uh, spaghetti pesto is a favourite, but not pesto from a jar, so it has to be hand-chopped.
1: Yeah, handmade pesto, but you can make pesto out of anything, leftover spinach, any sort of leaves, I'll do all that.
0: Uh, I love salads, it's the crunch, but most salads in restaurants are covered in seeds these days, which is a pain. Yeah. But we're at Scots. So they can leave the seeds off if yes. you decide to go that way. Not eating meat for 30 years. Uh-huh. I have Irish blood, so potatoes are a must. Uh-huh. Allergic to wine. <laughs> Haven't drunk beer, lager, since I was put on steroids for Addison's. Uh-huh. The only alcohol I drink is vodka. I believe they have some. Uh-huh. Eggs and chips it is then.
1: Yes. But then I came back and said, well,
0: we could go fish and chips. Yes. But you did mention Dover Soul and Scott's. Well, first. yes, I was very pleased, actually. Would well, you want to have a look at this menu? Yes. So Scott's, for anybody who doesn't know, is, a, is basically a fancy fish restaurant. Uh-huh. Dover Soul's up the top.
1: Great. Grilled or what? Gr-
0: grilled or Mernier, Which means? Grilled Soul, which is basically grilled, seasoned and grilled. Mernier is first dredged in flour, pan fried in butter, um, and then served with brown butter sauce. So there's a bit of flour in there.
1: Yeah, no, I'll go for the grilled. Okay. But then does that, see, if I'm then going to go for steamed spinach, it's all going to be a bit plain Jane, isn't it?
0: Well, you're going to have chips as well.
1: See, I was wondering about the chips, because right of it being lunchtime. Yeah. You know, Chips chip coma. Chips could slow me down a bit, but actually, as we're at Scott's, I've got to have the chips, haven't I?
0: Yeah, but they'd be light, Scott-like chips.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to have grilled sole, Dover sole, steamed spinach and chips.
0: And what about for a starter?
1: Oh, now, let me see. Oh, a bit of um, buffalo mozzarella.
0: That's always Lovely. All right, so the buffalo mozzarella with a pesto dressing, which you know they'll have made themselves. Of
1: course, they better have had. I'd be able to tell if they've bought it
0: from Tesco. Other supermarkets are available. <laughs> yeah. And I will start with the razor clams, mm-hmm. and then um, I will have the blackened miso salmon. And can I have some broccoli with chili? Mm. You can have some if you like. Yeah.
1: Well,
0: yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can have a nice glass finish. of sause. Yeah, twenty-one. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. I interviewed you in two thousand and five. You DM'd me through Twitter. I did. Because you had a deep abiding, as I did, a deeper abiding love for my mum.
1: Of course, yeah. Well, that was it, because I remembered us doing that interview. And I think I was doing a play at the Don Marr Warehouse then, directing a play. It was a Sam Shepard play. Yes. And I just was not feeling myself. And it was sort of the beginning of feeling quite poorly. But as we do, I just kept ploughing through work. And and of course and then years later it sort of dawned on me, Oh my god, I met Jay and I never I don't recall saying to you your mum was brilliant and
0: I suppose I, for anybody who's listening has no idea, although I've said it on previous episodes, my mother was the agony Aunt Claire Rayner. Yeah. Your own mum died when you were two. Do you have any actual memories of
1: her? No, I don't have any memories at all. And in fact, I saw one of my brothers um, last week for a bit of lunch and I said to him, um, oh, I said, I'm doing a podcast with Jay Rayner. And he immediately said, oh, we loved Claire Rayner. And I was like, yeah, we did, didn't we? But she was certainly someone that I enjoyed when she was on the telly or writing her, her agony answers, you know. I suppose she was that sort of mother replacement. In that way, do you know what I mean? So. Uh, it,
0: it's you know clear from your story that that element of your life is significant to you, and and therefore and obviously your, your dad was a complicated figure. Yeah,
1: dad, dad was very complicated. Dad had a bit of a drinking problem for most of his adult life, although it always pleases me to say that he did stop drinking in the last ten to fifteen years of his life. So that was great because then I was able to know who he really was as a person, as opposed to this schizophrenic
0: lunatic. And um, you said, as a kid, you—I mean, you've used the word hate. You said, "Oh,
1: of course I did. Yeah. Well, of course you're going to hate someone that's just bringing aggravation and violence into the home, you know, and confusion and."
0: As you're discussing your father's alcoholism and your (laughs) youth, wine has arrived.
1: Wine has arrived for the men. Yeah, no, I did. It was a real love-hate because I loved his sober side and I hated his drinky side. So what was great about then him not drinking was that mainly when he got poorly, actually, when he he realised he had cancer and stuff, you know, we were able to have proper sort of good chats about stuff. I mean, I did have sort of other mother figures in my life. I, had, uh, my, I was fostered for a bit by a woman called Joan. It was, very,
0: it was a very kind of ad hoc arrangement, wasn't it? It
1: certainly wasn't done the you know, the official way everything is done nowadays, you know.
0: Sounds um, to me like it was very efficient, that it worked as, a, as an arrangement for you to have that stability five days a week.
1: Yeah, it did, because then I'd go home to Dad, John and Barry at the weekends.
0: For a bit of chaos. <laughs>
1: For a bit of chaos and all to give, to give my poor foster mum a bit of a break, because I, I was quite a handful,
0: really. What was food like? I, I, I don't want to sound upset, but... You know, food
1: sometimes, we didn't really have it. You know, if Dad was on a bit of a bender, um, money for food wasn't really there. Because he was drinking it. Because he was drinking it. So there were times when there wasn't really much in the cupboard. But yes, so sometimes it was a bit shit, you know, sugar sandwiches, um, bit of an OXO cube in in hot water mixed up. That was always quite good, actually. I would be a bit cheekier than my brothers if I was really hungry. We lived in a, a mansion, block of flats called Horton Mansions. Which had h- hundreds of flats, yeah, yeah. North and um, so yeah, so I would find myself just knocking on a random door and just saying, have, "Have you got any? Can I have a sandwich?" Or you know what I mean? I just was sort of shameless. I didn't care because I just wanted to be fed.
0: But actually, that shamelessness is sounds like a brilliant survival strategy.
1: Yeah, certainly. And um, I was recalling just with a pal recently that. It was just—I'd always just find out where there was free food. There's a great place in. Israel. I built my
0: whole career on that.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're you're doing very well on it. And I remember once walking past some place, and it was um, Church of England church and we were catholics you know so we never went into a church of england church of course not but i looked down one day and i could see through the basement window and i just saw a load of kids in there with orange juice and biscuits and i thought how the fuck does this happen i need some of this so um so i joined up for sunday school classes declaring an interest in all religions because I wanted orange juice and biscuits.
0: Well, uh, Jesus gives.
1: and <laughs> Jesus delivers <laughs> to yeah. those that are canny and yeah. wise. In all
0: ways. It's clear. I'm reading your story, I mean, Anna Sher has to come come into it. Yeah. Put it onto get. it by an English teacher who decided to start teaching drama and saw something.
1: Yeah, I think actually looking back, he was a supply teacher, Mister Paul, and I suppose he was just sort of struggling for things to find to do with us and he had this book written by Anna Sher which was a hundred ways to improvise and so he started getting us up and doing improvisations and stuff and it was just fantastic and I loved it and I think he just saw that I could do it I was the one that was always making everybody laugh whenever I got up to do anything and he said to me, do you know about this place? And, and being in Islington, we didn't know about it at all. Explain about Anna
0: Sher, for anybody who doesn't know. She's so still
1: she, with us. And... Yeah, so she set up this, um, it was like a drama club. It, it was for
0: after school. But to put it in context, I looked at the list of people who went through mm-hmm. Anna Sher, and about half the cast of EastEnders. Well, uh, well yeah, I suppose, Martin yeah. Kemp. Yeah. Um, and Susan Tully.
1: Yeah, and Phil Daniels. Daniel Kalula is one of the new new kids on the block who's doing brilliantly in Hollywood. Uh, it was like 50p a lesson, something like that. And it was just amazing, and it changed everything for
0: me. But you've got to look at the speed of this. You weren't accepting to Anna's show until you were about 16. Yeah. But by, what, 17, 18, you were a consultant on Scrubbers and in it? I was a sort of consultant for Mike Lee. That was right. a couple of years later. But,
1: yeah, no, I just really lucked out, actually, um, because a Swedish actress who was and was now a film director called Mai Zettling was making a film called Scrubbers, a very unfortunate title, which was, like, the female version of the film Scum, which was set in a ball stall. And I was just lucky. She came along and watched some of the classes and I was one of the people that she picked out to um, audition for the film, so this was bonkers. I'd never done anything.
0: And how old were you?
1: Seventeen, and I just adored my Zetlin.
0: But she also was important, wasn't she, zettling, Because she said something else to you on that set. Yeah,
1: sale. she she was really important to me. She was like a horse whisperer. That's how I describe her now. Because she was constantly in my ear. You need to you need to write. You need to direct. You can't just be an actor because. You'll only get certain roles because of the way I looked. She said, You'll always just be the little fatty, the little comedy one, you know, which I didn't have a problem with. <laughs> I was like, You know, oh, thank you Here's so some much. Food. Hello. Oh, lovely. So hello for you. Be
0: I'll be very careful. Great. Raise the clams thank for me. you. They're um, both very pretty, aren't
1: they? They are. But she was absolutely right because within, you know, a couple of years, I was thinking, Blimey, you know, Everything that's being sent to me is just sort of the same character, but... What was just, that
0: character?
1: You know, the mate. The mate of the pretty girl who was the lead, you know, and, like, the the funny mate or whatever. So, yeah, so that's then when I started to... Um, there was a place in Isla... And it's still there, the old Red Lion Theatre. I know it.
0: Right.
1: But I started um, just doing bits of work at the old Red, doing a bit of stage management doing some assistant directing One of the extraordinary there. things
0: about this story is it, it's sort of in the nature of the arts in Britain that they can look very closed off to people from certain backgrounds mm. and certain experiences, by which I mean yours. Mm. And yet you didn't at any point seem to think, this is barred to me, I'm not allowed in, this, is not my, this club is not for me.
1: No, it didn't cross my mind, actually. Um, Phil, Phil Davis, Philip Davis, the actor, he was um, writing and directing plays and putting them on at the Old Red. And um, so I talked to Phil because I recognised him from Quadrophenia. <laughs> I just went up to him and said, um, "How do you do this?" And uh, he said, "Well, you need you just need to get some money, you know, and um, to put to put a play on." And he never once said to me. It's really hard, or you shouldn't, or anything. He was just extremely encouraging. It was actually Dominic Dromgoole that said to me, this is going to be quite tough for you. And I was like, why is that? And he said, well, A, you're working class, and B, you're a woman. And uh, they just, you're two of the things that they don't like in in the theatre world. And I just was like, tough tip, big shit, I'm doing it. But Dominic has always been, like, a great, Friend in this industry. Um, what,
0: what always interests me in stories like yours is the way talent finds each other. Mm. So you were mates, uh, whether it was friendly or not, at, at all times, with the likes of Ray, Winston, Gary Oldman. You'd met them all.
1: Mm.
0: You all came across each other, sort of. Well,
1: randomly. Gary was. I first met Gary because Gary was doing a film called Meantime with Mike Lee. And my best friend in the whole wide world, Tilly Vosburgh, was was in the movie as well. And Tilly was very distraught because she sort of gave away a secret and said, Mike wants my character to be a skinhead and I'm really worried about it and I don't want to... Because then she's going to have to look like that for like six to nine months
0: wandering around. The key point here is that at that point... You were, weren't you? No, were you, I... No, I, full I, on I were full-on suede
1: head, you...? I used to be, yeah. When I started Anna's, I was still a bit of a suede head. I think that's the best best term for it, really, because I was into the two-toe scene and all
0: that sort of stuff. So Gary and Ray were... I, I like to call them by their first names, even though I've never met... Actually, I had met Ray Winston once or twice.
1: I didn't um, know Ray, no. I knew Gary because I gave some advice because Tilly went back to Mike Lee and said... It, my character wouldn't be a skinhead. My mate, Calf said if she lives in the flats and she's knocking about with this person and that person, the chances of her being a skinhead are very slim. So Mike said, well, who's this, calf and tell her to come in and give us a talk then? So that was when I first met Gary. and Gary Oldman, when I was about 18. And then I did a play with Gary down in Westcliff-on-Sea. Fine town. Yes, and it was Edward Bond saved, so
0: he wasn't the best player
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, to do in Westcliff. prop.
0: I mean, my goodness. What were the matinees like?
1: I mean, empty. (laughs) You know, with the five people that were there, would leave, you know, um, cos it's quite a hard, harsh piece of work, you know. That was me sort of getting to know Gary and him getting to know me and...
0: It's been a bit of a love-hate, as far as I can tell. <laughs> as in, he loved you, but you were various times, didn't
1: you? know, Gary will admit this himself. Back then, he was very into the drink as well, you know, and he's been, I think he's been clean for, like, 30 years or something, AA. But when he was drinking, he wasn't a very nice person. So that was the person I kept on coming across was Mr. Drinky, and I just thought, oh, he's just a bit of a twat, even though I thought he was one of the greatest actors I'd ever seen. And then he went off to Hollywood anyway, so we didn't have any contact with each other for about ten years.
0: But the contact you did have when that happened was rather monumental, wasn't it? That
1: was yeah,
0: because then that was the film Nil by Mouth. For, for anybody who doesn't know, explain what Nil by Mouth was.
1: So it was quite a hard-hitting film. Ray Winston's character was a terrible alcoholic and a drug addict, and he just couldn't keep it together. And he would end up being incredibly abusive to his wife. Which was the um, part you played. Which was the part I played, yeah. But it was one of those films at the time, people were like, oh, my God, this is... Probably one of the horriblest films ever in its brilliance, you know, because it was so realistic. But, you know, it's just interesting because all I remember is having a really good time on it and feeling incredibly
0: safe. Um, you won the the Best Actress Award at Cannes. Probably,
1: yeah, it? which was great. Was completely unexpected.
0: Is it true you didn't have a passport?
1: Yeah, I didn't have... My passport had run out. It was all just dealt with somehow i don't know i had a private jet was sent and i was <laughs> who sent your private jet luke besson because the- he was one of the producers of the film i mean it was bonkers so me and my agent stephen before we knew it we were on a private jet and then we were in an helicopter oh. and then we were walking up the red carpet much to the surprise of my friend david fuelis who was in Cannes at the time and had rang me that morning to say he'd seen Neil by Mouth and how brilliant it was and it made Naked, a film that he'd been in, look like the magic roundabout and (laughs) he was full of compliments. And so from his point of view, he was sat backstage at the awards ceremony because he was going to give an award and he just saw me walking up the red
0: carpet and he was like, what's going on? And he spoke to her this morning, she was at home. So the curious thing is, there you are, you've just won Best Actor at Cannes the next big film you're, you seem to do after that is Kevin and Perry, isn't it? Or if not, the next one. Because mm. getting the award means that pictures can actually get made if your name's attached to them.
1: Yeah. Harry Enfield got in touch amongst the many people that got in touch, wanting their movies made, and said to me, ''Congratulations, Kath, getting best actress at that Can. That's blooming marvellous. I was like, ''Oh, thanks, Harry.'' He went, do you know what? He said, we'll probably get the money now to do Kevin and Perry, the movie. And I just thought, oh, what a great idea. And Because I loved playing Perry, and Perry was my creation.
0: You've actually said that it was the closest to you,
1: haven't you? Yeah, especially when I was young. Yeah, of course, when I was a kid. I think I was very like Perry. Um... So, yeah, I was delighted about that. But there was real snobbery about it. Well, you're meant to go and do Strindberg or something, were Yeah, weren't you? and all that. I mean, it's like, oh, fuck off, you know. <laughs> this is a character I've created. And also, when does a female get to play a male? Particularly in a movie. Um, so I just thought it was a great idea.
0: And I thought, this will really show my versatility. So, um... Harry Enfield and Chums, mm. the various ones. So those were back in the early noughties and nineties. I'm trying to get the time. They were frame. sort
1: of. They were early nineties. Uh, I was read really that longer. Yeah, yeah, they were. I think because I was doing those because I'd already done a couple of series. I think when I was doing Neil by Mouth, because I remember there was a line in Neil by Mouth where my character said, "I'm just having a fag." And I went up to Gary and I went, I need to change this. And he was like, why? Because he had no clue about the comedy because he was in in America. And I said, no, 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 I play this character called Wayne, a slob. And the the (laughs) catchphrase of the characters are, I'm smoking a fag. And I said, we really don't want there to be a laugh in this moment. So I changed it to, um, I'm having a cigarette. Thank God there were no laughs to be had. Do you know what I mean?
0: curious thing, though. Mm. Nil Byrne Mouth, a water can. You're big on Harry Enfield, getting lots of roles. And at some point, Mm. certainly by 2005, when I interviewed, you'd already said, fuck this for a game of soldiers, I don't Mm. really want to be an actor
1: anymore. I'd always directed, as I said, and then I I directed a play. I wrote and directed a play called Mr Thomas, and that's when I met Ray Winston. Ray was in the play for me. And this long before nil by mouth. And so I loved it. I really loved directing. I got a Time Out Award for that play, and it was televised. Channel 4 televised it in 1990 as a little series of plays that were taken straight from the stage. you should have been, like, 25. Something like that, 25, 26, yeah. And that was the way I was going. And the play, you know, it did really well, and... The Manchester World Exchange got in touch and said, would I like to be writing in residence there? So I was really on my way to doing that, actually. And then I got another call from the agent uh, saying Mike Lee wanted to meet me. And I wasn't interested. I said, I don't really want to do a Mike Lee film because you could be working for nine months and you might only end up with two lines in the film. So I wasn't really interested. But the agent said, well, no, it's a play. At Stratford East, Theatre Royal, Stratford East. So I was like, oh, well, that's a bit different then, if it's a play. So I went and met Mike. We got on, which surprised us both. And, yeah, so I ended up doing this, this play for him. So I didn't go to Manchester to do The right in Residence. Do you regret that at all? In a lot of ways, I do, yeah, because I didn't really have a good time doing the, the, the job, uh, the Mike Lee... Um, it just wasn't a happy time, and also that was when my dad started to die. Maybe it would have been more difficult if I'd have been in Manchester, actually. You know, But we often can look back and say, why did I choose that path? If I'd have chosen the other path, maybe it would have been a little bit easier. I, I, now I was directing plays, but the acting was getting in the way. I was miserable. Do you
0: not uh, like the process anymore?
1: Suddenly, when you're doing big movies you're a very small cog in the machine as an actor. I just didn't like the fact that I was just a puppet. (coughs) So I just had to put a stop to it, really, and I got my agent round and I said, OK, I think I had a couple of jobs lined up and said, right, I'm going to do these two jobs, that's it, I don't want to see any more scripts to do with me acting for at least two years. Let's give it two years.
0: How long ago was that? And that
1: was 15 years ago. <laughs> You've <laughs> I mean, done I, the odd I, bit. I've done the odd bit. I've popped back now and again. If it's great, if it's something it's really fucking interesting and doesn't take too much time, so, for example, doing Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, that was five days' work for me. And it was brilliant. I got to meet John Hurt for the first time in my life, which thank God, because he was sort of we'd lost him within eighteen months mm. later. Um, brilliant actors working on it. Um, it
0: was an amazing cast. That.
1: It was an amazing cast.
0: How was it, um, by contrast, working with Jennifer Saunders yeah. and Joanna Lumley? You were on Ab Fab. I mean, I absolutely loved it.
1: It was a bit sad that I didn't do the last couple of series because then I was f- focusing on directing.
0: And just... were you asked to, or had you been written out?
1: Um, no, Jennifer asked and then and then said, are you going to be up for this? And I said, no, not really. Um, so, so she wrote the character out. Just didn't include the character, yeah. basically. And then when it came to the film, that was a different matter. I mean, the money was fucking appalling. I've never <laughs> earned such terrible money on a film. But it was just, I tell you what, it was lovely being back in the company of... People like Joanna Lumley and Lulu and you know,
0: everybody was in that. I mean,
1: everybody was in that film. And uh, and I and again, I said to Jennifer, "I'm only prepared to do no more than five days." And um, when there's a big scene and everyone has to be in the background, I've gone to the toilet, so I don't want to be fucking hanging about for hours doing nothing. And she was like,
0: "Absolutely fine," you do, know. Do you still get offered acting parts?
1: Yeah. Oh God, yeah.
0: Do yeah. any come along which you go? Maybe
1: the last thing I did, I did a tiny little thing for Phoebe Waller Bridge. She did, she did a thing called Crashing, which was before Fleabag came out. She'd done the play Fle- Fleabag, and I knew Phoebe a little bit, so I looked. It was only going to be a day, right. <laughs> you know. And also, I just thought, well, Phoebe's amazing, and Phoebe is going to be a superstar. And before did, we had you, play. had you clocked
0: that, already? oh my
1: god, of course. Of course, because Fleabag, the play, was just—had
0: you seen it in Edinburgh?
1: Brilliant um, at the Soho Theatre, oh, right, and, and okay. I'd actually read it as well, and um, and I just thought Phoebe was terrific, and so it was like, yeah, of course I'd do this. It's just a day for a pal, you know what I mean? And um, and it was good fun, you know, just playing some old drunken
0: auntie, you know. <laughs> so one of the assumptions that could be made by the, the fact that you stopped doing a lot of the acting went into directing, was that you kind of wanted a lower profile. But then mm. Twitter happened. Do you have an obvious filter on the comments that you make? Whether it be on Twitter Anyway, I mean, one of the things, I think one of the reasons newspapers love you is because you speak.
1: I mean, you know, Jay, I'm lucky because it's just being older, I think, more than anything. It gives you great freedom to totally be yourself. I'm not worried about... Losing out on a gig if I call Boris Johnson a cunt, you know. It's in actual fact, I think that it sort of helps get me work. Actually, yes, quite possibly. It, that sort of helps with being fearless, is being older and
0: not worried about the next paycheck. You made a series for Channel Four, uh-huh. which looks at some of that.
1: Yeah, we looked at that. We do. We did three episodes. The first episode was Beauty and Image. So that played a massive part. Oh, that's lovely. Is that my dirty soul? Perfect. My God. So what, but? And that's the little one. That's That's the the little one. one. The pitch was me going around talking to women about being women and uh, the, the sort of the highs and the pitfalls of being a woman, really. So It I should was, be said
0: that the that papers happened. have actually been full of stories based on the second one, about oh, right. your comments on the menopause.
1: Which are plenty. Well, what a
0: <laughs> fucking nightmare that is.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, of course it is. It's not exactly a barrel of laughs. So, yeah, so I think, and that's why I went on Twitter, was because I was going through the menopause. Oh, seriously? Yeah, and I thought, this is shit. Why isn't everybody talking about this? So I went on Twitter and it was like, Oi, I'm going for the menopause. This is fucking horrible. Let's all try and talk about it. And I was just sort of ignored. I don't think people... <laughs>
0: people didn't realise. Well, oh well, christ <laughs> alive. No, that's not the conversation <laughs> I want to have. Uh, Beautiful. Beautiful. That's Thank your you. Dover soul off the bone. Wow. And this is my... Tim salmon.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: Let me say, so, Salmon. Sort of bringing Twitter and the Channel 4 series together. hmm Modern life is complicated, isn't it? I Mm. think one of the things that's really striking... I've only obviously been able to watch the one on beauty and women. Mm -hmm. And the thing that you're most struck by in that is the pressures presented by social media, by what you can do to your own appearance. Mm. Mm. Um, It's a conversation you have with Rankin where the nearest he comes to actually changing your appearance is by getting you to put your hands up. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. so to hide
1: my double chin, my big fat neck. Um, Yeah, I mean... The likes system, that's what's fucking the kids up, is comparing how many likes something they post has to somebody else. And that is not good for young people's mental health. Also seeing how many followers you have in comparison with somebody else.
0: When you look back on it all, you know, in your 50s, as am I. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting place. There's quite a lot of life behind. Yeah. Do you look at it and think, well, that, that's all worked out rather well, yeah. all things considered, from where you started? I'm really fucking proud of myself. I'm really proud of myself. Quite right, too. I think I've done
1: extremely well. You know, I've tried not to upset too many people. I mean, none of us are perfect, so I've definitely upset some people.
0: Well, you do, there's, there's a brilliant thing where in the, in the first episode, you go off and you interview the rapper... Oh, Nadia Rose, Nadia yeah. Rose, and you're taken by her, and her, oh. don't give a fuck, I'm that's going to be me. Yeah. And you then give the speech and you say, look, if that's who you are, declare yourself.
1: It's about women more than anything that, you know, we've grown up with, be quiet, be modest, <laughs> don't, don't praise yourself, you let men find the attractiveness in you, and what a load of fucking shit. So I'm really glad that those days are slowly disappearing and that women are allowed to sort of say, well, do you know what, I did rather well.
0: And now a word from our sponsor, which in this case is me. I've got a new book out. It's called My Last Supper, One Meal, A Lifetime in the Making, in which I attempt to answer the one question I've been asked most often, what would my last meal on earth be? I go out in search of the ingredients. It does include pig. And I tell the stories behind them. It's available now in hardback, ebook, and audio formats. And I'm also on tour with a live show based on the book. For tickets and info, visit jrayner.co.uk. And now back to Out to Lunch.
1: Swiss desserts.
0: On the back. Mm. What kind of things do you like?
1: Well, I'm um, again, I'm not a massive pudding fan. I mean, that fish was lovely and was very light, and I didn't eat all the chips.
0: We could share a Cherry and Amaretto baked Alaska.
1: Let me just see if they've got pavlova.
0: Uh they usually have some version.
1: No, baked Alaska's good. What's that? That's pavlova anyway. Well it's meringue it? on the, the outside, meringue. ice
0: cream on the inside. Yeah, okay. Do you do you set fire to your baked Alaska here? It's done behind the scenes. Yeah, what I mean is you, do you yeah, do yeah, the, do yeah. you do the alcohol the and scenes. flame it? Yeah. I'm up for that. Do you ever think your obstreperousness or your determination? <laughs> do you ever look back and think, shit, that was a wrong call? Um, that you've written yourself out of something that could have been really fun, or you could have been involved in something that, in retrospect, you thought that was really good, or are you really comfortable with the decisions, yeah, even no. the ones that go wrong? Yeah,
1: no, I'm very comfortable. I'm very comfortable. You can't sort of. Regret if you don't do something for one reason, it's because you want to do something else for a different reason. Maybe Fleabag, when Phoebe was interested in me directing, when it was a one person show. Um, the very first time. would have been quite nice to have been (laughs) involved in that one. I wouldn't have had to do a documentary
0: to get my new windows. If you'd done it, would it have been the same thing? It wouldn't
1: have been the same thing, no. And that's what you have to look at it. You know, when Summit is really successful, it's because the right people were involved in the job, you know? So I didn't direct her show, but her pal that ended up directing it is who she's been working with ever since. And... It's a great professional relationship that has worked. So I can't sort of have any regrets about that, really.
0: Hang on, I'm going to stop the story because look at that. So our cherry and amaretto baked Alaska. Now, if you like, we could try cutting apple. Alternatively, we could just go in from... Go in, go in, go on. So this is a a baked Alaska with snowy peaks. Has
1: it been set alight already?
0: Yeah, I think so. So at the Ivy... Oh. They set it light to next to your table, but I don't think they like setting light to things in a room for no, the No, not in this and room, and yes, Chigals yes. They <laughs>
1: won't get the insurance for a baked Alaska in this room. Mm. Mm. Oh, God, I love cherries. Oh, it's amazing.
0: Well, look, as we, as we sit here and demolish our, our baked Alaska, surrounded by mm. some absolutely astonishing art, yeah. Well I think is actually the most expensive private dining room in the entirety of London. It Pos- must be. Possibly the world actually. Mm. Can I say, Cathy Burke, thank you for letting me take you out to lunch? Thank you very much, Jay. It's been delicious and delightful. Well that's what we tried to do here. <laughs> Kathy Burke is one of those people who makes time fly past you. She is such a brilliant talker and such a brilliant swearer. I keep referring to it, but I do love a woman who can properly swear like that. Um, It was an absolute joy. Uh, If you want more of this, and I'm sure you do, please hit subscribe so you get every single episode as it drops. Um, And we would love it. We would love it very much if you would review us. Give us five stars because that helps everybody else find us, and that is only a good thing. Out to Lunch is a Something Else and Jay Rayner production the theme music was written, arranged and performed by Jay Rayner and Robert Rickenberg. The mix engineer was Josh Gibbs, the assistant producer was Jemima Rathbone, the producer is Selina Ream and the executive producer is Darby Doris. Additional production is from Steve Ackerman. Next time, it's actress, comedian, writer, star of the Netflix series Living With Yourself, it's Ashleen B.
1: When we were doing the potato waffle scenes in This Way Up, the props department bought... 10 boxes of potato waffles. And they said, oh, do you want to bring the rest of these home? And we were like, what, really? Jesus, we've really made it. And so we both got all of these boxes and to the point where we had to eat them for ages. Do you know what? That was a great day.